You're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, your host, and with me today is Dr. John Fagan. Dr. Fagan has been a doctor for the U.S. ski team as well as the U.S. Olympic ski team. Dr. Fagan, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Maury. What caused you to become involved in sports medicine? Well, I finished my residency, and I was immediately assigned to Vietnam for a year. That was 1967. And uh, even in the residency, I had been interested in knees, and the knees sort of took me to sports medicine. I had a couple of great patients who had knee problems uh, when I was a resident at Walter Reed. In fact, one of them was President Eisenhower. I was just interested in the the long-term solution to knees and sports medicine. So when I came back from Vietnam, I had the opportunity to choose where I wanted to be assigned since it was early in the war, and I came back as team doctor at West Point, the U.S. Military Academy, and then I was fully into sports medicine. Did you need any preparation to become a sports orthopedic physician? Well, nowadays, most of the people finishing their uh, five years of orthopedic surgery training will take an extra year of fellowship, which is certified in in, uh, sports medicine. That's one of several opportunities. You could take fractures or you could take hand, but sports medicine is a certified fellowship after your orthopedic training. But they didn't exist in my day, so we just sort of, uh, since I was a team doctor for nearly six years at West Point, we just sort of gave ourselves honorary certificates and moved onward and grandfathered ourselves. But I was a founding member of the American Orthopedic Society for Sports Medicine in 1972. You know, I know you uh, went to West Point uh, for college and then Duke University uh, for medical school. Both schools are associated with Coach K. Did you you ever have any contact with him? Coach K and I first met when he was 19 years old and he was team captain for Army and the coach was Coach Bobby Knight. And I was just back from Vietnam and a young, aspiring sports medicine doctor. And I sort of look at it like we all learned together. But subsequently, yes, I was with uh, Coach K uh, on two other occasions before Duke. And then when I went back to Duke in 1989, I was lucky enough to be one of his team physicians for basketball at Duke. And we won two national championships in 90 and 91. And I was with him until I retired. So for me, it's been a wonderful relationship. You went to West Point and you went to Duke. What does that have to do with skiing? (laughs) Yes, uh, skiing. Well, I wanted something for my family that was a family sport. And West Point had a little ski slope, 700 vertical feet, uh, with night skiing. And it was really easy for me to take the family out there at night and all of us learn together to ski. I had never skied before. So in 1968, we began our family ski thing, and then when it came time to retire from the Army in 1989, I'm sorry, it was 1979, we went to Jackson Hole, Wyoming uh, for private practice, and I then bought a clinic at the base of the Jackson Hole Ski Resort, and we had a wonderful family experience, and I had a good medical experience. How did you become involved with the Olympic ski team? Yes, they have a formal program where you commit for four years, and it is a triangular-shaped program in the sense that more people apply than they can send to the Olympics. So that's the reason it's a four-year program. So in the beginning, there may be 20 or 30 doctors that they want to look over. So they assign you for two weeks. You you volunteer for two weeks each year during the four-year period. And uh, at any stage, they don't like you. They don't feel that you're qualified to do not only your specialty, but a certain amount of 
general medical care uh, or you're not attuned to the needs of the athlete, then you get eliminated along the course. And I was lucky enough not to get eliminated, and so I did two weeks of volunteer each year until I served in the 1992 Alberville Olympics. What was unique about taking care of an athlete who has reached that level of proficiency? Yes, well, I think in our medical profession, we always consider ourselves totally committed. And yet in working with these athletes, you see commitment you know, beyond any level that you've seen it before. And you see their highs and lows and expectations. And you become a part of their team. And I like that. Uh, expectations and shared commitment to between their goals and our goals. So, yeah, I think it is that level of commitment that, that we enjoy. But how do they deal with an injury after waiting four years for this one opportunity? It can be tough, and it certainly comes up. And I think the ability to counsel an athlete about the outlook of his injury, because if you really look at it, every single professional athlete and most of college athletes end up terminating their career with an injury. So you need to get realistic about counseling them as to where they stand and what their expectations. And I call that the envelope of function, which I learned from a younger colleague, Dr. Dye, and I try to assess their envelope of function, which includes their expectations, and then fit the injury to their expectations in a realistic envelope of function. Did these particular athletes who received an injury deal with physical therapy different than what you saw in your private practice? Uh, yes. Yeah, that's a great question because the athletes made the therapist and the doctor look great. They listen to the instructions. They want to understand the why of the therapy, and then they want to participate to the 150th percentile. And in truth, you just rarely, if ever, see a negative block to learning, or they would never have achieved that level of excellence in their sport. The uh, recalcitrance and, and the questioning that you sometimes see in the average population just does not occur with these committed athletes. What could you use in the way of knowledge that you could filter into your private practice after dealing with this kind of athlete and patient? I saw that two ways. One is I saw that uh, I had a more emergent commitment to my patients than I had before. In other words, if someone came in with an injury that I might, as a physician, think was minor and self-limiting, I tried to put myself in the view of the patient uh, as though they were a committed athlete and, and help them to get well at the most rapid rate that was reasonable and, and possible. So it did change my time framework considerably. And then, of course, I had seen that time framework shortened by the athlete's commitment and good rehabilitation. So I wanted to apply that as often as possible to the civilian population. And then lastly, I think it helped me psychologically to realize that I had a responsibility to motivate some of my patients. Did your experience with the elite amateur athlete help you as far as physical therapy was concerned when you had to deal with your private practice? Well, actually, the re research in my career came at two different times. Once when I was stationed at the Army Hospital in San Francisco, we did considerable knee research there. We had the infrastructure, the resources, and we really moved ahead with the repair of the anterior cruciate ligament there in the laboratory as, as well as uh, clinically. So I learned how quick you could take things from the laboratory to a clinical application from that, which was seventh to tenth year of my uh, profession after training. So I had that experience. And then when I was in private practice, really we didn't do any bench research. And we waited. And then when I got back to Duke University, and I think the opportunity to do research drew me back to Duke at the end of my career. And I had full resources of a laboratory there. And yes, we worked on a specific problem, which were uh, 
repair of meniscal injuries and meniscal transplantation. Are you continuing to do this type of research? Well, regretfully, I'm retired now, and, and I'm still interested, but I certainly don't have the laboratory, and I'm not uh, committed to the extent that I had been previously in my career. I know in Vail there's a laboratory that has been working, and I think you actually live in Vail now. Uh, there is a laboratory there that has been working on transplanting various types of cartilage. Well, Maury, I didn't realize that you had that background, and I apologize for not completely answering. Dr. Stedman and uh, the Stedman Hawkins Research Foundation here Dr. Stedman and I have been friends for more than 35 years, and he had quite a lot to do with me coming to Vail in my retirement. And yes, we work together on uh, nearly a daily basis. And so, yes, I am still involved, but not on the, the cutting edge that I, or the leadership edge that I used to be. Now I'm more on the consulting end of it. On a personal note, I was cheating a little. Dr. Stedman operated on my wife for aseptic necrosis and did microfracture on her. Yes. So I, I was kind of sneaking that in, and I got a chance to, to hear about his research at that time. Well, I'm really proud of him, uh, not only as a friend but a North Peak colleague, because I think from the uh, format of private practice, he's contributed a huge amount to our profession, to healing, and to science. So I enjoy working with him a great deal. Did you have any other medical responsibilities with these athletes that wasn't necessarily orthopedic-related? Oh, absolutely, and I think that's one of the joys. Uh, we were certainly expected to take care of their minor medical problems, and I did have to learn a little bit about dermatology from that, but just colds, coughs, flu, and so on. And then we had to learn, of course, all the drugs that were banned and be careful that they either wittingly or unwittingly did not get those drugs or that we certainly that we didn't prescribe them. So it was a whole new discipline with the Olympic athlete. I'm struck in my own practice when I tell a patient in the summertime that he has a minor injury and can't play golf for a month or two months, and I live in a very cold climate, and so the golf season is very limited, how devastated he is. I mean, you would think that I was really depriving him of his very lifeblood. I can only imagine what it must be like dealing with the emotional stress of an athlete who cannot practice, has to stop his sport, has to start rehabilitation. Yes, Maureen, I think that's a responsibility that we as physicians uh, need to develop, i.e., what can we substitute that's meaningful for them in that short-season time framework, uh, whether it be the elite athlete or the occasional athlete. So I, I work really hard on uh, a formal rehabilitation program and how it will help them both with their golf commitment, let's say, as, as well as with their future health and well-being. So it does bring up a parameter and a framework which we can, most of us can improve our service to the patient through and with. So you often would tell this athlete there might be a way that there would be, as difficult as it may seem at that time, a benefit from this injury. Uh, yes, I do. And uh, to take that another step forward, because we had previously talked about the wounded soldier, and I think uh, outlining different career plans for the wounded soldier, particularly when it's a permanent loss of a limb or something like that, and I can't even imagine how many we got into going up into the health professions, you know, because they had certainly seen it up close as wounded soldiers, and then uh, when they, you know, got out, then they had the opportunity for the GI Bill to go to medical school or go to nursing school, etc. With your exposure to this type of very unique athlete, can you reflect on what might have been done or what can be done to improve the atmosphere that surrounds the young teenager who is interested in sports, in the sense of attitude that might be beneficial? I do have strong feelings about that, and it comes from having lived in small communities, whether it be West Point or Jackson Hole or Vail. But the involvement of the whole community in the sense that 
Fathers can be great coaches and great motivators. Uh, coaches can be exercise physiologists of their own and uh, and trainers, and so everyone can participate. And I've seen it before, where the whole community gets together and each person takes a role and and expands their abilities. And the young athlete who is vulnerable to injury and who is uh, emotional and even not well advocated, so to speak. Uh, can really benefit from the whole team, the coaching team, the teacher, the educational teacher, the coach, uh, and, and the physician. So it's important to form a team for those young athletes. I want to thank Dr. John Fagan, who's been our guest, and we've been discussing what it's like to be a doctor to an Olympic ski team. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.